Hey everybody, welcome to Clark Talks, the Colombian's podcast where we bring you the stories and views behind the news. I'm Katie Gillespie. And I'm Damien Pizzanti. So we have a chock full episode for you guys today. We're plum full. Plum full episode of stories. Um on today's episode of Clark Talks, we are uh, where last week we kind of delved, dived into one subject pretty deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we are going to bring you a wide variety of subjects. That's so. right. That's right. Rather than like, rather than drilling you a well, we are bringing you a lake. Hmm. I'll take that metaphor. Hmm. Maybe a puddle. It's maybe not that big. Well, see, a pond. Like a, lar- a pond. Let's say let's say a pond. Let's say this is a. Sh- oh no! You know what this is? This is a cranberry bog. Oh, it's about knee, <laughs> about knee waist deep, and full of cranberries. Few acres. <laughs> yeah, and it's got all these sweet little fruits <laughs> floating throughout it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's enough of that. Metaphor aside, back to so, the news. What are we talking about? Yeah, so we are going to start our episode with a conversation with Jacqueline Keeler. She is a Native American writer um, and journalist in Portland. She just wrapped up teaching a five-week adult learning class uh, on the Dakota Access Pipeline and what's happening over there, which, of course, as anyone who's been following the news knows, has been a rapidly changing yeah, constantly situation. Constantly in a state of flux. Constantly in a state of flux. And when she started the class, it was before the inauguration. Mm-hmm. When she ended the, now that she's ended the class, you know, the pipeline is on and moving forward. So Yeah, I mean, I just caught a headline here from the Bismarck Tribune that the Army Corps of Engineers uh, granted the easement that the pipeline company needed. Yeah, so that project is moving full steam ahead. Um, Keeler is actually a uh, Navajo and Yankton Dakota Sioux writer, so she has some very deep personal ties to that area. So interesting. really interesting perspective. So we'll talk with her. And then we got, who do we have next? It's um, Next we're, we're going to sit Littman. with Adam Littman. Well, we should say we're not sitting with Adam Littman. We're not. Adam is actually taking this segment on himself to on bring up, road. talk to two bright and talented young ladies who are um, going to represent, is, do I have this right, represent our area from the in front of the UN? It's a couple of Camas High School uh, students. They are, they participate at the school's International Human Rights Club. So they're going to be talking with uh, other students from around the world at the United, for, uh, representing the United States at the United Nations 61st Annual Commission on the Status of Women next month. So they're two of 14 delegates picked from around the country. So, And then finally, we're going to bring you guys um, the first of what we hope is going to be a regular new segment on the podcast. Probably not every week, maybe every other week, it sounds like, with our state political uh, reporter, political correspondent, Lauren Day. Um, I'm sure you guys are probably familiar with her. She's been on a few times before already, and she covers um, as a regular part of her beat the city's politics, but then her probably the bread and butter of her job is covering the state and uh, national delegates and the... In the politics thereof areas. yeah well we then we are sitting down uh like we have we do another segment yeah oh that's right that thing we have another segment. <laughs> this is a very full podcast we're sitting down like we do every week with ashley swanson to talk about what is going on mm-hmm. this week this weekend so this will be a good one yeah so enjoy So for this next story, I visited with Portland writer and journalist Jacqueline Keeler. Keeler recently finished teaching a five-week mature learning course at Clark College called The Return of the Great Sioux Nation. She delved deep in the class into the Dakota Access Pipeline Project and protests against it. When I arrived, I found about 30 students hanging on to Keeler's every word. This is a statement um, from Dave Archambault II. He's the Standing Rock Sioux Tribal Chairman. 
And, um, and in this you'll see that he references, um, um, references the, uh, the real concerns that his tribe has with the crossing of the pipeline through their territory. It says, for centuries, this government has built infrastructure projects off the backs of indigenous people, off the backs of tribes, and our tribe, that's part of the great Sioux Nation. And we have gave a lot uh, to this nation. We've given the interest in Keeler's class doesn't surprise me, but not only for the topical subject matter, but also for her deep personal connection to the region. Keeler is in Yankton Sioux and traveled last year to the protest camps to participate and write about what she saw. Here she is talking about a photo she took depicting the silhouette of a group of children marching at the protests. And then on the lower uh, right there is a photo I took of Native youth. Um, they were actually coming from um, the Native youth, uh, the Lakota youth from Cannonball, the community there. Um, they were the ones who really started all of this. They ran all the way across the country uh, to the uh, to Washington D.C. Uh, to raise awareness for this uh, this pipeline corridor, this pipeline that was crossing just a half a mile north of their community. And so, while I was there, they did a march from Cannonball to the camp. And uh, and while they were shouting there, um, you know, Mini Wichlani, water is life. And it was very wonderful because. As they were, they were all mostly teenagers, but a lot of young kids came out from the camp and started joining them. And it was really beautiful. And uh, when they came to camp, they were greeted with a feast and, and, and just a lot of um, celebration. And to me, that represents really what it means to camp together um, in our traditional way and, um, and why it's so important that um, it, it really happened this way. I first met Keeler when Senator Bernie Sanders visited Vancouver. She was covering his rally for Indian Country Today when I was covering it for the Columbian. When I visited with her recently, President Donald Trump had just signed an executive order repaving the path forward for DAPL. Crazy how fast things change, right? Here's our interview. My name is Jacqueline Keeler. I am um, an enrolled member of the Navajo Nation, but my father is Yankton Dakota Sioux, mm -hmm. and they're one of the signees of the 1851 Fort Laramie Treaty, um, which is where the DAPL, the Dakota Access Pipeline um, construction is going through. My, uh, my dad's tribe are presently engaged in a lawsuit with the Army Corps over DAPL, and, um, and many of my family are camped there at Standing Rock. And, uh, and our family had lived on Standing Rock for 40 years um, at Wakpala and, um, and were adopted by Chief Gall's people. I'm actually a relative by blood of Chief um, Sitting Bull um, through my paternal grandfather's side. But, um, so, um, but yeah, I'm teaching this class about Standing Rock, giving a lot of the history. Um, my dad's family are, um, have been writing on the issues having, pertaining to the Great Sioux Nation. Basically, since the uh, since the 19th century, um, mm. so we have a large body of um, knowledge and information about the um, the land issue, land and water issues in that area. So I'm providing a context for understanding Standing Rock. So why is it important that this class happen right now? And because um, the issues that the tribes are bringing forth are to a large extent misunderstood or not understood. Um, you know, it's um, obviously the issue of sacred sites and water and cultural issues are a big part of it. Um, but the um, larger issue is the issue of sovereignty um, and how um, American citizens are going to right this historic wrong. Um, 
everyone hears tribes talking about the issue of broken treaties, but I think they don't understand that in, treaties are international law, that um, as signees of treaties we are recognized sovereign nations under international law, and, um, and the U.S. Senate does not ratify treaties with anyone but sovereign nations. So um, when you talk about the Great Sioux Nation, you're talking about a sovereign nation within the United States that should have uh, and what does it mean not to recognize that tribe, to suppress their sovereignty? What does it mean to Americans? Um, and um, what does it mean when we go abroad and say that we stand for um, certain um, ideas of liberty and, and um, justice uh, when this is happening here in our own home? And, and the armed response, the heavily militarized response to um, the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe's request for consultation on this pipeline project that runs through their homelands mm -hmm. uh, and impacts their communities um, is um, is um, is not really fully understood unless it's understood in the lens of sovereignty. Um, and so that's the context I'm providing right now. And with Trump's executive order regarding both the Keystone Pipeline as well as the Dakota Access Pipeline, um, how did that change the tone of this class and, and what's next? Well, we kind of knew that it was coming up because um, the class started right. a week before inauguration. Um, but it is very, it's very a dark moment because um, the sort of um, really um, quite um, the violence directed at water protectors, at nonviolent, um, you know, um, uh, protesters um, at Standing Rock was quite extreme under the Obama administration, um, led by the state of North Dakota. Um, but it is, um, it is not really. It's just going to be. They're they're going to be given even more license to do this with this the full support of the Trump administration. Um, the Obama administration would not release federal funds for the militarized response, so the state had to fund like $25 million out of its own pocket. Mm. Um, and uh, now they're pretty confident that you know, Trump will reimburse them. All right, and for this next section, Colombian small cities reporter Adam Littman, who has been on the show before, went out to Camas High School to interview juniors Katie Blair and Tiara Naidu. The pair are going to the UN next month to participate in a conference on women's issues. Katie speaks first, followed by Tiara. The theme of the Commission on the Status of Women, this is the 61st year of the actual commission. It is focusing on economic empowerment for females. Um, NGOs, um, just organizations like the Girl Scouts of America will be there. Um, Youth Ending Slavery, um, they're based um, around the country with a chapter in Portland. They will be there. They're representing um, their organization there. There's workshops. There's just, you know, going and watching a speaker. There are 40 students from the Girls Learn International organization in the United States going to this. Mm -hmm. um, we are two out of 40. Us personally, we actually have to do some speaking. Yeah, we, and, you we know, chose we can to be on, um, you know, be on like panels and that type of thing too. On the application, actually, you have to if you check that you are willing to talk in front of seventy plus people, you have to write a speech. And um, in that speech, I sort of just talked about my story and how my story applies to you know economic empowerment or just overall like girls empowerment. I talked about diversity at Camas High School and in the Camas community because we have a lack of diversity in Camas, I think, and um, how that affects our reputation and how that affects um, basic knowledge of the Camas community on diversity. I think truly I started getting an interest in sort of broadening, you know, my world awareness and what's going on my sophomore year. I felt like my freshman year I didn't really... <laughs> Your fears. I just yeah, I didn't really <laughs> know what was going on. I didn't really care to know. But sophomore year, when I started going to the clubs, I realized, oh, there's all this stuff happening. 
you know, I would like to stay informed and learn more about it. My parents and my mom especially have said, yes, you need to focus on not what's just in Camas and Vancouver and um, Clark County, but you should care about what's going on around the world. And so they made sure that I had news platforms to look at as a child and made sure that it were appropriate for me. I had that furthered when I attended a Girls Learn at the time, Girls Learn International meeting on genital mutilation. And I was so opened up because I had no idea that was going on in the world. I was like, what is well, this? Well, you sort of know about those things, yeah, but, but then you don't you go to the deep. meetings and you just like learn so much more and you're like, there's so much more to this that I should be knowing. Yeah, and I was like, I felt sick in my stomach. I said, I was just thinking, this is insane that this is still going on. Weekly, we just have a different topic. So I've done one on um, ethnic cleansing. And just this month, since it's Black History Month, we're doing more like civil rights and that type of stuff. But it's mostly just, you know, all-encompassing human rights intersectionality. And we're really big on making sure that um, everyone knows what's going on in the world because a lot of people have one side of an issue and don't get the other side. And so we like to show both sides, even though our club is pretty opinionated, as it is. Um, and so we have discussions um, concerning these topics and um, that consists of our meetings every week. We've been focusing on American issues for the past. Yeah, we've been focusing on what's been few going months, on lately. Because it's really important for the future of our country. We did one on the ban, did the, on the immigration ban. ban. We did a whole meeting on that. We talked about um, abortion and women's rights. Planned Parenthood, that was a... Yeah, Planned Parenthood, we had a meeting That was a big meeting. That took like 45 minutes because everyone was giving their input on that. Um, we, as a club, because it's Girls Learn International, like that's our, um, that's what our club is centered around, but not titled. Um, we were very concerned about women's rights being taken away, um, like Planned Parenthood being taken away, Obamacare being taken away. Um, we've been very concerned what, how many people are going to be affected by that in the United States because of recent developments in the government, people have been looking on the news more, I think. Not just uh, political Or even issues. if they don't want to, it's on their yeah, timeline on, on Twitter. Like, they'll see it anyway. So, yeah, I and think they're gaining more of a consciousness about it and forming their own, well, trying to form their own opinions. We recognize <laughs> that a lot of people at Camus High School have those views, and even though we might not agree with them, we still um, tolerate and we still respect each other. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's also another reason why we have um, negative connotations of um, International Human Rights Club. So I talk to people every day that, um, that do not have the same views as I do, and I learn to respect that. It's not like, oh, this is the right way because it's my way, or it's my way because it's the right way. So I think we could do a little better job on having a broader political landscape brought up in our club. Um, but I think that if we had opposition, that would really make our meetings interesting because mm -hmm. it would be like a debate. Well, you can tell someone, hey, you should go to International Human Rights Club or go to GLI and be like, isn't that a girls club? Yeah, isn't that the feminist club? I don't want to do that. Yeah. And so we have really um, told our friends, we've really persuaded our friends, this is not concerning just girls' rights. This is everyone. Mm -hmm. This is um, LGBTQIA rights, 
this is um, like Muslim rights. This is like all religions that we're encompassing and covering over at meetings. This is not just some liberal um, club that we uh, started on a whim. This is these are issues that we really care about and you should too because we are the future. It's not like a politics club. It's yeah, human it's rights club. So we bring up those issues along with it. I want to see more involvement inside the school and outside of school and having more events and activities and just getting more people involved, more people to show up to the meetings mm -hmm. um, and more discussion from members. Participation, advocacy, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so now we are sitting down with the Colombian's uh, political reporter, Lauren Dake. And you, um, man, I'm really excited about this because you're going to be a semi-regular uh, part of this podcast now. Is that right? I hope so. Yeah, the idea is to periodically bring in some lawmakers during session, which we anticipate is going to last quite a while. Um, have them come down here when they're in Vancouver and chat with us about something that's happening in Olympia that might be interesting to your Vancouver listeners. So what did you talk about with them this week? So this week, it was our first week um, trying this out, trying out this experiment. We had Senator Rivers and Senator Cleveland coming in talking about one of the more divisive topics in our region, the Interstate 5 Bridge Project. We actually recorded this about a week and a half ago, so it's a little dated, We and it, but it's and it's not that it's dated, it's just there's some time elements that are, that you, I mean, you refer to things that's happening next week that have already happened. Exactly, so. yeah. So it won't be news to a lot of our readers, but they'll get a better, they'll hear directly from our lawmakers about the process. And it also, it kind of illuminates how um, much back and forth there was in this whole process because, it, you know, they thought that it was going to be, the bill was going to be dropped the week that we recorded it. I thought that, everybody thought that, and there was a little bit more behind the scenes scrambling, which is just sort of indicative of what a difficult process it was to pass or introduce this mainly process bill, but. Yeah, um, I mean, it's just largely symbolic, right? We're not gonna get a new bridge out of this. Right, it doesn't, it doesn't um, designate a project, but it uh, declares the Interstate 5 bridge crossing a project of statewide significance. Of course, it still needs to pass mm -hmm. the House and the Senate and be signed by the governor. But um, I think the biggest hurdle with this bill is that the fact that the de delegation got together, for the most part, the large majority, not everybody was on board, but they agreed to something. And while that might sound simple to um, some <laughs> people who don't pay attention particularly closely to our delegation. It's it's really not, especially when it comes to this topic. So um, one of the, and we don't have to get too, um, too wonky or too in the weeds here, but um, we had seven of the nine legislators that signed on to this legislation, right? Yeah, that's correct. Every so we were missing, and it was, so it was a bipartisan group. Uh, we were missing Representative Vicki Kraft and uh, and Liz Pike. Um, have you have you gotten a sense from them? What are they looking for? What do you what did they want to pursue? Representative Pike actually has her own bill that okay. we've written about and it um, it's broader than this current bill because she is not convinced um, that focusing on the Interstate 5 bridge is the right solution. She'd like to say um, maybe some other bridges on the west or east side of the county before the Interstate 5 bridge is replaced. Well, even this last Saturday, she had a public meeting where she and a few of uh, the advocates for more routes and showed a map where all these proposed um, like new crossings would be, right? 
That's correct. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people attended that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there's a big part of the community that is interested in that idea mm-hmm. as well. And I think something that's important to point out is what the bill that the lawmakers dropped last week that you can read about also in the Colombian. It doesn't, um, although it designates the Interstate 5 bridge as a as the first priority, it doesn't um, say that's the only priority. And it creates a regional bridge authority to examine all other crossings as well. So they're not really closing themselves off. It doesn't, it's not an either or necessarily. It's just a, let's get this bridge done first. We've already done a lot of work on that. If we want to see something happen relatively quickly, this is our shot. Mm. Well, I think we could sit and talk about this for hours, but um, we should probably. Let's not. Yeah, let's not. Let's <laughs> let's <laughs> let's tune to your conversation with these guys, and I really look forward to uh, hearing more in the coming weeks um, from what's going on in Olympia. Do you have any idea what the next segment is going to be about, or is it too soon to tell? Well, I'm definitely interested if any listeners have ideas, or there are certain bills that they're intrigued about and they'd like to hear from. Um, I, the goal is just to address bills that have some real regional significance that would be interesting here that they might not read about in the statewide papers. Great. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I'm here today with Republican State Senator Ann Rivers and Democratic State Senator Annette Cleveland. Thank you both for being here. Let's start off right away addressing one of the more divisive topics in Southwest Washington, the Interstate 5 Bridge. You both know that every morning, tens of thousand commuters leave Southwest Washington, they sit in traffic, and they often get stuck on what is now a 100-year-old bridge. Both of you were very involved when the Washington State Legislature discussed the Columbia River crossing several years ago, but eventually you landed on different sides of the issue. Senator Rivers, you were a very vocal critic of the Columbia River crossing, while Senator Annette Cleveland, you fought hard with the hopes that the bridge would be built. Now, here we are in the 2017 legislative session. Do you both feel like you and other members of the Southwest Washington delegation have made progress on this issue? Have you reached a consensus? Senator Cleveland, let's start with you first. Well, thank you for the question, Lauren. And first of all, Absolutely, I feel that there's been progress made. First of all, we've agreed to leave the past in the past, and I think that is a first um, step in the right direction. Uh, We have then gone on to spend the entire last year meeting regularly, talking, uh, a few of us talking about um, can we agree on a goal, and from there, can we then agree on a process that we'll all commit to supporting in order to move forward on replacing the Interstate 5 bridge? And uh, those discussions have been very positive. Uh, they've also resulted in what I believe to be some trust building that was much needed. And uh, we continue now, since session has begun this year, meeting on a weekly basis as a delegation, not just to discuss this issue, but discuss an entire uh, range of issues that impact our region. And we're working uh, very hard to uh, be collaborative and fully vet issues and and, uh, find ways that we can move forward together. 
it has been sort of a hard-fought battle because we had lots of things to overcome. We had to have some pretty uncomfortable conversations and and do that trust building that Senator Cleveland referred to. But I feel like we're right there. I'm really proud of what we've come up with, and uh, I'm anxious to hear what our colleagues in Olympia think about what it is that we've put together. So this week, you um, both introduced a bill that you're co-sponsoring to really address the Interstate 5 corridor. What do you see as the measure's key intent here? The primary intent is to agree that the I-5 bridge replacement is the top priority. And uh, the first step in uh, accomplishing that goal is to designate the project one of statewide significance. Uh, in addition to that, it also urges our governor of state of Washington to reach across the river and talk with the governor of Oregon to begin to develop a memorandum of understanding. And within the legislative language, we've included uh, what we feel are the important principles to include within that memorandum of understanding. And that includes uh, an inventory of uh, the work that's been done previously so that we know how to design a process and what uh, aspects of the process process we need to uh, focus on uh, and what aspects of the process um, have already been addressed and we wouldn't need to redo that work. And I think this is very important. Um, calls out the need to look into a possible formation of a bridge authority uh, that's regional and that bridge authority would look at crossings uh, all up and down the, the Columbia River between our two states of, of Oregon and Washington. So I would like to add in, uh, we are behind the curve on developing other cross river uh, bridges. Uh, we, this idea of creating a, a joint bridge authority, I think is really powerful because it can help us to uh, do all the planning and, and get things lined out for years and years to come. And I think if we can do that, uh, we're going to be miles ahead and it will give, I think it will restore faith in the people of Southwestern Washington that their ideas are being heard too. Uh, public comment is also very key to this plan, giving people uh, not just a not just a place to walk through and see what's going on, but to have actual dialogue where they know that their thoughts have been heard. I think that that's really important as well. So these are all things that guided us. The appropriation sends messages on on many levels to our our folks who are tired of sitting on that bridge. Um, sends a message to them that, that there's money behind it, that we're committed to it, and also sends a message to Oregon. You told us what you needed. Here, we've provided this. Now let's get to work. Designating the I-5 bridge as your priority, as a priority of statewide significance, is a big step for Southwest Washington. Am I right? Well, it's a huge step, and it sends a message to both governors that that's how important it is to all of us by acting in a bipartisan, bicameral way, both House and Senate. We're saying we're here, we're ready to work, and a lot has changed since the previous project died. With the pullout of Hanjin from the port of Portland, we see a record number, number of truck, trucks on the road. We see, we're planning uh, with the construction of the Cowlitz Casino, uh, 
a minimum of 17,000 car trips per day each way. So we are looking at significant congestion. Uh, there are those who say, oh, but what you're proposing, you know, that's not going to solve congestion. Well, I can tell you this. Congestion is only going to get worse unless we do something. And we have to hold out hope that perhaps Oregon will get its ducks in a row and address that overcrowded rose quarter so that we uh, have free flow all the way from California to Canada. To some listeners, they might be surprised at simply designating, or, or not so simply actually, designating this corridor as a priority was such a hurdle um, for the Southwest Washington delegation because there's a lot of back and forth and I think there's still, I think it's fair to say there are still members who feel like that shouldn't be the priority. Um, and, and so if you want to address that, Senator Cleveland, um, if you think that that process has merits, if we should be looking at other bridges, um, or if, like you mentioned, that's kind of why you included an two components to this bill that you just introduced, the, the delegation introduced. We all believe there's merit to looking at additional crossings, absolutely. But we agree that the I-5 bridge is the first number one top priority because that's the interstate corridor. That is uh, where people are trying to get from Vancouver to Portland. Uh, so that is why, you know, I think we all agree that that's the issue we need to address first. We can, uh, within this broader process, yes, consider bypasses around I-5 as well. But uh, in my mind, uh, that's secondary to first addressing the existing corridor. Light rail was one of the, the bigger sticking points last time around, and it's still one of the more controversial topics. People feel very passionate on this topic on both sides of the issue, and the Oregon State Legislature made it very clear several years ago when this project was being discussed that they, they were only on board if light rail was a component. However, we heard from a lot of Southwest Washington residents who did not want that. Do you, is that still a sticking point or Senator Rivers? So the message that I got back in, in the day, if we could say that, it wasn't about the legislators and, and uh, light rail. It was about TriMet and light rail. And they did have a seat at the table and that was their demand. And certainly Metro was uh, on board with that. But uh, we have committed over here that anything we do must have a mass transit component. We are not outlining what that mass transit component looks like. Uh, there is a comfort level with bus rapid transit because for all intents and purposes, because of the express bus service now, that's a lot of what we have. But we among in, in our working group decided that this was something that could possibly separate us. And so we agreed that we were going to push for a mass transit component and that we would not uh, push for any one over another. So if you go through this whole process again, and it, it turns out once again that many people think it needs to at least be light rail ready, a light rail ready bridge. Senator Rivers, is that something that you could support having that component? Well, I think in today's world, uh, the, the demands for the structures being uh, seismically sound and all of that, I think that anything we do 
is probably going to be light rail ready, whether you call it that or not. I mean, they just retrofitted the Broadway Bridge for light rail, which is 100 years old. So I think that um, I think that anything we do just by virtue of design and engineering standards would be light rail ready, whether that was the intent or not. So. And have you guys been in discussions with your counterparts across the river throughout this whole process? I know you, you, you've said, even though you introduced the bill this week, you've been meeting for months and months. Who, who have you been talking to over there and have those conversations been productive? We have periodically talked with our colleagues on the other side of the river, but they sent a very clear message to us that uh, we needed to... Uh, come to consensus, put forward a proposal, demonstrate that there's commitment and that uh, there's funding behind that commitment. And uh, they indicated that they would then be happy to talk with us further. And so that's why our focus has been on accomplishing those uh, steps first before we formalize any discussions with Oregon. So for all those commuters who might be listening this morning on their way to Portland, what can you tell them, what hope can you give them that maybe someday their drive will take, you know, 40 minutes less than it currently does? What can they expect in the next couple of years? Well, I think it's hopeful that we've reached consensus, that we're working to put together a process. We have purposely focused on the project, designating the project one of statewide significance because what that does is help to expedite uh, any project that might move forward. I, it's our goal to uh, go about this in the most efficient, timely manner possible. None of this dragging on for uh, decades. Um, and so I think um, that's the hope that I would ask our commuters to cling to. We're, we're willing to do this very hard work together so that we can get to a solution and a positive outcome. All right, so it is time for the latest version of uh, Ashley's Weekend Update, Ashley's Corner, uh, whatever. What's, Ashley's here. What's happening with Ashley? What's happening with Ashley? Uh, what is happening to do with, with Ashley? Ashley? Uh, let's go out with Ashley. I thought of names, actually. Oh, good, I actually really? put, I put thought to it from last week. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so can we hear these? Can we hear what these are? Yeah, so it's like stuff to do with Ashley. Let's go out with Ashley, which is kind of funny. Going out with Ashley. Yeah, going out with Ashley. Um, what's happening with Ashley? There's always the, the very, like, the weekend update with Ashley, but that mm. one's kind of, it's been taken. It's been taken. Yeah, isn't there some show on Saturday nights <laughs> that it has a weekend it's a update? Live show. Possibly. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to be original these days. But. I think the irony is, is you're a little bit of a homebody, aren't you? Um, yes and no. So <laughs> the thing is, if I see an event that I want to go to, I try really, really hard not to write it to death over the week. So that you don't get bored by the right. idea. Right. And yeah, and it feels like I it'll still be new to me if I go to it. So I try to like put it on the very down low, the ones that I'm like personally interested in. So what does that mean then for if people, if, if I'm a, so have a crappy event then is what you're trying to say. If I'm no, a- <laughs> no, 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 no. I just have to like, well, I, I don't know. It's hard, <laughs> but I do, I do enjoy going to, to things and, and, but I also like being very like sneaky ninja about it too. So I can't. 
So if I'm hearing you right, there's going to be no red carpet premieres for Ashley Swanson. No, I, I gotta keep I gotta keep my um, my poker profile. face on. Gotta keep yeah. keep my my cards close to my chest. Like a like a food reviewer, you're the our equivalent of a food reviewer who yeah. goes in with a fake credit card. Yeah, because I want to give all events their due because everyone has valid interests and they're all really interesting to talk about. Um, and it's always amazes me the the variety that exists. So what's the uh, variety that exists this weekend? So many theater shows. The theater shows from last week are continuing. New ones are opening. Um, so it's a great weekend to buy a ticket and go see something. Um, so tell us about those somethings. Well, one is uh, James and the Giant Peach. Uh, That's going to be a play? Yeah. Oh, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just wonderful. And so we have a great uh, children's theater company called Journey Theater, and they produce um, a bunch of uh, plays over the year. And so this winter one at uh, Ridgefield, James and the Giant Peach Jr., so it's a musical. You get all the singing bugs. You get, um, you know, kids doing their hardest to to portray and bring to life um, Road Dahl's kind of imaginative world. Um, so it should be really fun. And I think it's maybe worth mentioning these these junior productions, they're a little they're a little bit scaled back. You know, if you're yeah. going in expecting to see the full on No, and that's what's kinda nice is they, they um shorten it down so it's great for families mm -hmm. especially for kids who maybe haven't gone to the theater for the first time right so they're familiar with the story but then they get to see it on stage which is an entirely different experience cool yeah uh going along kind of the kids route there's also um the kids fest and sports fest happening over at the expo center this weekend um it's basically kind of like a one-stop shop for for families trying to find activities that their kids might like um so everything from like cooking demonstrations to like superheroes fighting each other to like rock climbing walls and laser tag and just and they'll have a bunch of like uh spring break camps and other information just to kind of get families um interested in what's out and about cool yeah um there's also a camus theater is showing the um, British National Theater Live production of Amadeus. So speaking mm. of, of movies that have become stage shows or stage shows that have become movies. So wait, this is a movie of a stage show? Yeah. Oh, cool. So it's basically a live broadcast of the National Theater in, in London. It's a live broadcast. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So you get to watch all these great um, actors from Shakespeare and other uh, illustrious companies perform the wonderfully dramatic movie Amadeus. Mm -hmm. um, this is not meant to be a dig on local theater companies by any means, but um, I think people who have never seen a, like, a stage show of like a national company's caliber uh, have no idea what they're missing or what they're in for so i mean these are huge and fantastic productions mm -hmm. yeah and it's great that we just get them on the th uh the screen also the main weekend story this weekend is uh the storm city roller girls they're starting their season up so yes. roller derby in Clark County is awesome. And Susan Parrish, when she was still here, did an awesome story. That was like, what, a year or two ago mm -hmm. now? Where she went to a, uh, a fresh meat uh, tryout mm -hmm. event mm -hmm. and had 
had a very interesting time. I think an overwhelmingly good time. But. Yes. <laughs> um, so this will actually be their first bout of the season. They're taking on Bremerton's uh, Northwest Derby Company um, on Saturday. And if you've never seen roller derby, it's both what you imagine and, and very different. Um, so it takes place on a flat track. They're all on, on roller skates. And um, basically it's a team of six so you have uh, five people who are the blockers and one person who is the jammer. And the way you score points is you try to um, lap the other team, your jammer does. Um, but of course, the blockers are trying to like hip check her and, and make sure she doesn't pass them. And one of my favorite quotes from the story by Scott Hewitt that's coming out on Friday is they describe uh, roller derby like playing speed chess uh, while someone throws bricks at you. Ooh, okay. Um, so is it like a certain time limit I, or is it like the first person do like a hundred laps or something? Uh, or? I think it has a time limit. Okay. Um, and whoever has the most laps at the end of that time. Yeah. Limit. And I think they also change up, um, kind of the positions of which team starts in back versus which team starts in front. Cool. And, and there's a lot more strategy to it as well. Cool. So, as long with like really fun names and costumes and like just the attitudes and swagger. So cool. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, another fun thing. So OMSI um, is bringing back the Art of the Brick exhibit. Yes. Wait, the Art of the Brick exhibit? Yeah. Details, so, details. So, <laughs> That's next week, right? That's no, it starts Saturday. Oh. Yeah, it opens Saturday. Um, so uh, this artist basically has recreated great works of art using Legos. So you can see the Mona Lisa in Lego. Oh, I heard about this. I heard about this. And I was totally confused at first. I was like, this is just different varieties of bricks that we're going to be seeing. How cool could that be? It's true. But no, it's just it's using Legos as an art medium to create both um, works of art that we're familiar with as well as like completely original things. I think they're supposed to be like a 20 foot uh, T-Rex skeleton and um, like the Starry Night Sky by Van Gogh and just all these other really fun Lego creations. And then they also usually have an area where you can play with Legos yourself or with Dublos and kind of try to make things. That's awesome. I mean, if you think about it, like each Lego is just like a little pixel. Mm -hmm. so exactly. Totally fitting. So that's super cool that there's a that we're going to have a local display. Yeah, and so it runs, I think, till May. Um, it costs a little extra to get in over regular OMSI admission, but it's still really fun uh, to go see and, and look through. And they're doing an OMSI after dark after that for that um, on the 22nd. That's so correct. Week, yeah, so. so if you want to science up with your adult pals, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I got to say, OMSI after dark, that's probably one of the coolest things that I have done here in Portland. So for people like myself who have never heard of an OMSI after dark, will you guys give us a rundown of what that is? I'm sure I'm not the only person wondering <laughs> that as as our listeners. Yeah, it's basically after hours OMSI for uh, adults 21 and over. So you get your beer, your wine, and then you get a bunch of science activities. Yeah, so the whole the whole museum is, is open and available. So um, you can check out the whatever event they have going on that night. Um, but you can also check out all the other events and there's no kids around you can take a beer around they have pretty good food and wine mm -hmm. there food wine and beer yeah so. it's basically aimed for those um that are kids at heart yeah. or that really enjoy science and they usually bring a lot of interesting um 
activities, demonstrations in, uh, musicians, actors. I think every once in a while they bring in like fire breathers and break dancers, and it really depends on the theme. Um, so I think this one, in honor of the art of the brick, they're they're basically doing like engineering contests to see like kind of like egg drops, except with Legos. Does that cap off the list? Yeah, I mean, there again, there's uh, so much more that is happening this weekend. So where can people find all these other things that are going on? Where is the best place for someone to look for events in Clark County and the mm-hmm. surrounding area? I mean, we just put out a little weekend section that comes out every Friday. So in You mean the, paper. the newspaper has a weekend section <laughs> oh, where yeah. people can learn more about things to do in Vancouver? It's true. And Get out of here. I know. And it even includes movie reviews and dining reviews and things to do. Any new restaurants in town you guys have eaten at lately that you're particularly excited about? Mm. Or old restaurants? Mm. That's always interesting because every once in a while I get calls um, from people asking like, oh, we have friends coming into town. Where's a good place to go? Or I want to take my wife out. Where's a good steak dinner? And it's kind of like, um, <laughs> because at the same time, it's it's like it, it's all very subjective of what people enjoy. It's all very subjective, but that's what makes it fun. So how about for you, though? Uh, I always like going to La Pella, actually. And what is La Pella? It is a restaurant um, near Columbia Boulevard in that um, Grand Central uh, Fred Meyers um, shopping center. Uh, They make everything using wood fire grills and ovens. And so there's always kind of this nice, like, woody, smoky aroma when you walk in. And then it's all, like, really good comfort, hearty food. So if you're, especially during the winter, it's really nice to go. Um, We're having a lot of fun exploring um, Uptown Village. And there's, I mean, there's places there that we've been before. Um, I really like the uh, the pho place, Mm -hmm. uh, the Vietnamese place that Mm -hmm. just opened. Um, Or it wasn't just, it was a little while ago, but in where mint tea used to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Good pho, good other things. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, the Thirsty Sasquatch. I know that a lot of people are going to laugh at me for saying that, but we went uh, when they first opened and we were like, eh, but we've been going back the last couple nights and they're awesome, so. I don't know why people would laugh at you for saying that because that was I, I, that was the very next place I was going to chime in with. We dropped in there the other day and I like how it's like kind of low key. It's a place to grab a beer and like play some cards or like have a good conversation. I'm yeah. into that. I feel like um, places like Vancouver would do well to have more places like that. Oh, the other place that I went that was really good, uh, two doors down at uh, Trapdoor, the grilled cheese cart, or it's not a cart, it's just like a window that's in the same space as Trapdoor Brewing. Oh my God, it is so good. It's just grilled cheese and soup and it's delicious. They're the best grilled cheese that I've ever had. So very good. (laughs) Well, that's what's kind of fun is it's just kind of a recap of of what's going on in, in Vancouver and Clark County. And sometimes that is just going to the movies and seeing like the Lego Batman movie or going to a good restaurant that's right around the corner because there's so many popping up in, in these places and they're just fun to go hunt down and find. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it is going to a theater show by the local children's theater company. It really depends. Well, yeah, if you want to be part of the community, it means doing some community events. Yeah, going out and exploring. That's all it is. Bam. Mic drop right there. Okay, thanks. Anytime. 
That's a wrap. That, that is our show. God, I had practically nothing to do with this show. <laughs> I guess aside from like the work of, I, I was a, the behind the scenes guy this episode. Yeah, you do. You do a much. lot of editing and and. I do not say that like it's a bad thing though. I'm honestly really excited to hear all these new voices coming on more frequently onto the show because I think that was our goal from the beginning, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it absolutely was. Um, so we're really excited. You know, when we bring on Lauren, when we bring on Ashley, when we bring on Adam, it's just really exciting to see other Colombian uh, writers and reporters wanting to get involved here. So absolutely. So hopefully you guys appreciate it too. Cause yeah. Makes our job easier. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. And uh, big shout out and thank you to everybody that wrote into us within the last few days. Yeah, there've been a few of you. It's a lot awesome. of nice emails. Yeah, we love that. We love it. It's so good. Uh, Man, as a millennial, there's nothing more that I cherish. Nothing I cherish more than getting a good big pat on the back. Yeah, yep, we've got to get good those participation, participation trophy. trophies, and they come uh, in the form of emails. <laughs> it's so good because I mean, I get all my gratification and all my socialization from social media in my online life. <laughs> and so, if I didn't have people reaching out to me on those, I would just die. Damien, people aren't going to realize that you're kidding. <laughs> oh my God, you might be right. <laughs> there's going to be a sound. Uh, a sound clip of that conversation is going to wind up on some like right wing local radio show. Probably. I'm sure <laughs> these punk kids with a podcast <laughs> yeah. want you to <laughs> whiny millennials. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, but seriously, you should you can reach out to us anytime. We are at podcast at Columbian dot com. Uh, most of you have been emailing Damien and I directly at our emails. Mm, I, that's that's cool. fine too. too. Um, I don't know how you're finding them, but they're online somewhere. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, you can also find you can subscribe to this podcast and you should on itunes it's also posted to the columbians website every thursday and is available for download on soundcloud and stitcher yes and as we ask you all the time and if you like this show tell your friends tell your mom tell the people you don't like tell and everybody yeah you can use it as a way to sound all like all elitious and uh, well-informed about local goings-on uh, during use it cocktail as a, parties. Yeah, or as a pickup line. It's Valentine's Day as we're recording this. So if uh, if you were dateless, dateless this Valentine's Day, it's probably because you weren't listening to Clark Talks. So I don't see how that is the case at all. <laughs> <laughs> Rude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. How do you use a podcast as a pickup line? Hey, baby, do you listen to Clark Talks? I'll talk about your Clark. <laughs> yeah you haven't been in the dating pool a while no you? i haven't i haven't actually it's been a few years <laughs> that's the thing once you're in a stable solid committed relationship you don't need to be suave no on your you feet. don't know you, you don't need, need to just to clean suave. the sink every now and even then. that is you don't have to shave your legs you don't have to shower every once no, in a while never. i haven't shaved my legs since i've been in a relationship <laughs> it's been at least a year <laughs> but we digress all right have a good week guys <laughs>